Well, the Lord be with you, Fellowship Church. This is my father's world. Why did you sing that song, Jess? Random, totally random. Yeah, well, happy Father's Day uh, to all of you folks that are with us this morning that are also known as dads or poppies or papas or opas or grandpas or granddads or padres or whatever name you go by uh, and all of the other father figures. We say happy Father's Day. Certainly, fatherhood in our society has uh, mixed reviews, you might say, and sometimes the name can cause us to stumble, and yet we do have a God who epitomizes the best of what a father is, one who gathers us in and nurtures us this morning as we worship together, one whose arms are open wide to forgive no matter what has gone on this week, and one who knows us and loves us anyway. How do we know this of this God, Father, that we have? We know this in, for one reason, when we look at the handiwork of God. And so we can say this morning with our, as our call to worship with the psalmist, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet, yet their voice goes out into all the, all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. Or as the Apostle Paul will say in his book to the Romans that we're going to be looking at this morning in his letter to the Romans, ever since the creation of the world, God's eternal power and divine nature, his father-like qualities, invisible though they are, have been seen and understood through the things that God has made, both in this world and even in you and I. So let us stand and sing to our loving Father.
Would you pray with me? Eternal and merciful God, abounding in steadfast love, you have loved us with a love beyond our understanding. In Christ Jesus, you have granted us the way, the truth, and the life. Yet we have strayed from your way, choosing instead our own paths. We have denied the truth, choosing instead the lies and deceptions of the evil one. And we have opposed life, choosing instead the destructive means of the kingdom of darkness and preferring the earthly kingdom to your eternal kingdom. Father, we have sinned against you in thought, in word, and in deed, through what we have done and what we have left undone. And we confess that in turning away from you, we have been conduits not of blessing in the world, but of curse. Yet like King David, we are overwhelmed by your grace and mercy. For you despise none that you have made, but love us inexplicably with an everlasting love, devising ways and strategies for those who are far off to be brought near and desiring that those who belong to you would turn back to you. We are called blessed because our sins are forgiven and our sin and brokenness is no longer counted against us. In acknowledging our sins to you, you are always gracious to forgive. Grant us now, we pray, by the power of the Holy Spirit, the grace to die daily to sin and to rise daily to new life in Christ, who lives and reigns with you in whose and in whose strong name we pray. Amen. Would you please stand to continue singing with us?
sisters and brothers. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It is because of Jesus's life, his death, and his resurrection that we have peace with God and with one another. The peace of Christ be with you. I invite you, as you are comfortable, to share a sign of that peace with your neighbor. Invisible friends? Your mic's not on. It's this like your morning, mic on. Oh, yeah. This morning we have the honor and the privilege of. Hey, Pastor Sierra, today is Father's Day. You should text your dad. I should text my dad, yeah. <laughs> This morning, we have the honor and the privilege um, to ordain our newest elders and deacons to our consistory. Uh, those of you who are here with us in the sanctuary, would you please join us here on the, the platform of elders and deacons, as well as our president of the congregation, Linda Milanowski-Westorp. Uh, for those of you who maybe didn't grow up in a tradition with um, elders and deacons, or maybe you've just simply forgotten um, what elders and deacons are or what this word consistory means. Um, our deacons and our elders are essentially the people that God has chosen um, to serve the church as Christ served. Uh, we look to them to be people of deep spiritual commitment, an exemplary life, compassionate spirit, and sound judgment. Our deacons in particular are set apart for the ministry of um, service and mercy and outreach. Our elders, in particular, are set apart for a ministry of care for the welfare and the order of the church. Elders and deacons together with the pastors uh, form the consistory, which leads God's people in proclaiming good news to the poor, um, in declaring God's righteousness to the nations, and the peace of Christ amongst all. This congregation, that means you, um, have nominated and elected um, the following amazing people to serve um, in the offices of deacon and elder. Um, and as I go through the names, just wave your hand so that people know which one you are. Uh, but to the office of deacon, uh, Steve Buck, uh, Petra Gonzalez-Gomez, Robin Hoffmeyer, Heather Postma, and Robert Vorpagel. And to the office of elder, Aaron Anderson, who is not with us this morning, Paul Christensen, Nancy Hunt, Jane Cruzy, Joan Cruzy, I'm so sorry, <laughs> Joan Cruzy, <laughs> like that's not right, uh, Jerry Skur, and Steve Vanderhill. Uh, ask them before you to make promises uh, to God and to Christ Church. Do you, uh, the elected consistory, confess together with us and the church throughout the ages your faith in God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? 
Do you believe in your heart that you are called by Christ's church and therefore by God to this office? Do you believe in the books of the Old and New Testaments to be the word of God and the perfect doctrine of salvation, rejecting all contrary beliefs? Will you be loyal to the witness of, and work of the Reformed Church in America, using all of your abilities to further its Christian mission, both here and throughout the world? Now uh, we'll ask the elders and deacons some specific questions. So elders, will you please step forward? As elders, will you faithfully, diligently, and carefully, cheerfully study God's word, encourage spiritual growth, maintain a loving discipline, and provide for the proclamation of the gospel and the celebration of the sacraments? You may step back, and then deacons, will you step forward? As deacons, will you faithfully, diligently, and cheerfully manifest Christ's love and care, gather and distribute the offerings of God's people, visit and comfort the distressed, minister to the poor and needy, and strive to advance God's reign of justice and peace? Nice, you may step back. Church, please rise to affirm your covenant with the elders and deacons whom God has given us. Beloved in Christ, do you receive these deacons and elders as elected and ordained servants of Christ? If so, please say we do. <laughs> I love that. If so, please say we do. Awesome. Do you promise to encourage and pray for them and to labor together with them in obedience to the gospel for the unity, purity, and peace of the church, the welfare of the whole world, and the honor of our Lord Jesus Christ? If so, please say we do. We do. Love it. Thank you. Uh, as an act of uh, passing the torch in a way, and as an ordination and installation service, I'm going to ask the elders and deacons that are elected to step down and then invite uh, all folks that are, are either currently serving on our consistory or have served as a part of the greater consistory uh, to come forward, and we'll do uh, the laying on of hands of these folks as we ordain them and install them into uh, being in leadership among us. Join us in this prayer over our elders and deacons. God, we thank you for these, your elders, Aaron Anderson, Paul Christensen, Nancy Hunt, Joan Cruzy, Jerry Skur, Steve Vanderhill. God of grace, we ask that you pour out your Holy Spirit upon them. We praise you and thank you for their unique gifts, and we ask that you might bless them as they serve your church as elders. And God, we thank you for these, your deacons that you have called into service. Steve Buck, Petra Gonzalez-Gomez, Robin Hoffmeyer, Heather Postma, and Robert Vorpagel. God of grace, pour out your Holy Spirit upon them. We thank you for the unique gifting that you have given each one of them. And we ask that you might bless them as they serve your church as a deacon. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And if our newest elders and deacons can turn to face us here, 
um, in the sight of God and God's people, I ask you and I charge you, um, each of you, to be faithful in performing your duties, to magnify the one who has called you to these high and lofty offices, to be zealous for the church of Jesus Christ, to be hospitable and prudent and upright and devout and self-controlled, and to love goodness, holding always to the mystery of the faith. And now to the congregation, beloved people of God, we ask that you would receive these elders and deacons as your elders and deacons and as Christ's own servants. Support them in love that their walk and that their work may bear fruit. And in the sight of God and our beloved congregation, we declare that these brothers and sisters are duly ordained and installed to the office of elder and deacon. Thanks be to God. Round of applause for these guys. <laughs> oh, oh, I, I'm going to pray for you one more time. Come on back over here. Yeah, Steve. <laughs> Let's pray. Almighty and ever-loving God, may every grace of ministry rest on these elders and deacons. Keep them strong and faithful that your church may prosper in peace. Grant them wisdom, courage, discretion, and benevolence that they may fulfill their charge to the glory of Jesus Christ. Bestow your grace on these people that they may support these elders and deacons with prayer, cooperation, and encouragement to guard them from growing weary and doing what is right. Inspire your whole church then with with your spirit of power, unity, and peace. Grant that all who trust you may live together in love through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Now you may be seated. Yes. <laughs> Thank you, elders and deacons. Yes. Another round of applause for these guys. So good morning, fellowship. Uh, my name is Tiara. I'm one of the pastors here at Fellowship, where our mission is to love God and others as an accepting community centered in Christ and focused on developing faithful followers of Jesus. Uh, if you are new with us, um, if this is your there they are, uh, if this is your first Sunday here, or maybe you've been here for a few Sundays but you haven't yet gotten to know the church or if, even a few people yet, uh, we'd love to meet you um, in the back. There are these things called connection cards. You can probably see it a little better on the screen. Uh, you can fill one of those. Out and you can take it over to the Welcome Center, and there's some great folks there who would love to meet you and greet you by name. Uh, you can also write prayer requests and other things on this card, and you can send it over there, and it'll get to the right people. Um, a couple of things for us this morning. We are full of celebrations today. Uh, we got to celebrate our newest elders and deacons, and we're super grateful for the gifts and the talents that they will bring to consistory and to the church and to the greater north side of Holland this season. Um, today is Father's Day, as Siri reminded us. Um, yeah, so special shout out to all the dads. We love you. We're grateful for you. Round of applause for the dads. Um, I was at the gym yesterday and I was watching, I was doing the stair climber and I was watching the news and they said that um, on average, the average um, kind of set of gifts for dads is about $200, which is no offense to anyone who spent less than that this year on your dad. <laughs> uh, but that on moms, there is a, it's guests, it's about 300 so like $100 shy. But for dads, I mean, it's not a competition if, if it were, but for dads, it's increasing. So you're getting closer. You're getting closer. <laughs> uh, so... A third celebration for us this morning um, is that today marks um, 10 years, 10 years of faithful service for Betsy Bruins. Uh, Betsy Bruins is our kids and families uh, director here. Round of applause for Betsy. (laughs) 
for the last 10 years, um, Betsy has served our kids and families, not only on Sundays, but on Wednesdays, um, in person and throughout the week and preparing um, and praying and caring for our kids and our families. Um, I've had the privilege of walking alongside um, Hannah, Bryce, and Betsy this year. And some things that we've noticed about Betsy are probably the things that you've also noticed about Betsy. Uh, Betsy loves to, um, loves to help people to discover Jesus, especially, especially the younger generation. Um, and she demonstrates that in a ton of the things that she has done, including VBS, which we'll celebrate in a moment too. Uh, but even in that, um, she interestingly knows each of you by name. And she knows your kids by name. And even when your kids have graduated from high school and have gone off into the world, she remembers your children and she prays for them and she's excited to hear about them and from them. Uh, that is not a given in a person who serves in a role like Betsy's, um, and yet it's a gift that we get to receive and benefit from, and not only us, but even the people in the larger community of the north side of Holland. Um, Betsy loves the kids and the families of this church, um, and we are super excited to mark this moment with her 10 years of service to and beyond Fellowship Reformed Church. So round of applause for Betsy and what God will continue to do through her. She's right there. Yeah. <laughs> things, but one thing is a really cool plaque that she can uh, mark her 10 years, and she loves to celebrate, and so we're going to celebrate Betsy together with some donut holes and grapes after the service. Yeah. We'd love to have you join us uh, for a little childlike reception. Thanks, Betsy. Uh, so, FYI, um, on your way in this morning, you may have noticed these really colorful cards. They are New Testament postcards. Uh, on them is some really, really incredible information, um, kind of some contextual details to help you um, explore along with us the letters that we're reading, New Testament letters that we're reading throughout our summer sermon series. Say that three times fast. Uh, and also on the card is a reading plan for the week as you navigate the text uh, with us from week to week. Uh, there there's also a prize I hear for the person who reads it the fastest. Uh, Pastor Ross is working on that. Now he knows that he's doing that. Uh, <laughs> so if you miss the previous week, you can actually pick it up at the Welcome Center. There's tons of copies over there for you. Uh, Speaking of things that happened last week, um, last week we hosted VBS, um, which was an incredible, incredible opportunity every year uh, to invite kids and families in our neighborhood to encounter Jesus, um, some of them for the first time. Uh, Betsy informed me this morning that there were 103 kids who joined us this year. That's about 10 more than last year. Yeah, you can clap for that. There were 78 helpers, uh, which is about 10 to 15 more than last year. So round of applause for you for helping out. Yeah. And uh, the number that Betsy gave me this morning, uh, we, our children, your children raised $1,384.30 for the Boys and Girls Club of Holland. Yeah. Yeah. That's incredible. Uh, it was an absolute blast, but don't take my word for it. Check out the recap video. And then after the video, we're dismissing kids three years through first grade to follow Miss Betsy. Yeah, yeah, cool. Check out the video. <laughs>
Well, good morning, friends. The Lord be with you. Uh, it's fun to see all those smiling faces at VBS at this church this last week. It reminds me of a time we had together a few years ago where we uh, had a church-wide retreat up at Timberwolf Lake and lots of smiles up there as well because we had with us at that time Hans and Franz, who was Scott Passion and Tim DeForest up there to lead us in a bunch of goofy games and to pump us up and to do our own smiling on that particular time. It was also a weekend in which we had the light and fluffy skit. If you remember the light and fluffy skit with Becca Skipper and Hannah Clark with a can of whipped cream and the continued singing of light and fluffy, light and fluffy as they had fun with that whipped cream. That's the true prize, Tierra, is that you two will do the light and fluffy. You and Jess will do the light and fluffy skit if someone does all the reading. That's what I think. <laughs> Hey, today we're turning our attention to the book of Romans, which is anything but light and fluffy, okay? In fact, I brought with me a little prop up here this morning. On the far opposite side of a light and fluffy whipped cream can is this great big pile of books, which is a set of commentaries all on the book of Romans alone. 10,000 plus pages of edifying insights into this great, great book for us to look. I, I dare you to bring one of those babies to the beach for a little summer reading. <laughs> We're in week two of a summer series uh, called Letters from Home, and we are uh, together journeying into the New Testament epistles one at a time and reading other people's mail and receiving it as the word of God for the people of God today. Famously, of course, Romans is the not light and fluffy book. In fact, it's not uncommon for a common Christian to see this great big pile of books and to come to the conclusion that the book of Romans is therefore not for me. It's for the scholars instead. Knowing this, Eugene Peterson has wisely pushed back and said to the common Christian that we really ought to be impressed by Romans, but not intimidated by it. So as I invite you to look into reading the book of Romans, even this coming week, let me give you a top five reasons that you might love Romans as a book. The first is its prominence. It's first among all of the letters in the New Testament, not because it's the oldest, but because of its great prominence. It's been called the fifth gospel but it was written before all the others, before Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John wrote their gospel of deep stories about Jesus. Paul wrote Romans in deep sentences about Jesus. It's a prominent book. Second, you might love it because of its great scope. It's been called a compendium of Christian doctrine, a way of saying that it is a summary or nearly a systematic theology. John Calvin, one of the great thinkers of our faith, has said that if we can gain understanding of the book of Romans, we have an open door to all the treasures of Scripture. It's that big of a book. You might also love Romans because of its cost. Get this, in antiquity, the book of Romans in modern dollars probably cost about $2,000 to produce. The scroll, the scribe, and the delivery fees of that. I think that the most expensive book I've ever bought was some biology book in college, maybe $300. This was $2,000 production cost for the book of Romans. You might also love it because of its impact. It's been described as the single most important theological document written in all of history. That's a pretty tall claim. And finally, you might like it because of its logic. 
Romans moves from start to finish very logically. In fact, you'll encounter the word therefore in the book about 20 times, which is as much or more than any other book in the New Testament. It's a very logical book. It's a persuasive book, and it begins fittingly with a thesis statement, which we'll read together this morning. Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17 say this. We'll read it in two translations. First, the NIV says, the Paul is speaking, he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith saying the same thing a little differently in the message translation, Paul says, it's news I'm most proud to proclaim. This extraordinary message of God's powerful plan to rescue everyone who trusts in him, starting with Jews and then right on to everyone else. God's way of putting people right shows up in the acts of faith, confirming what scripture has said all along, that the person in right standing before God by trusting him really lives. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Today, I want to invite you today to consider with me five of the major therefores that appear in the book of Romans. And each time we encounter a therefore, we're going to ask a question. What is it there for? So when I say therefore, you say, what is it there for? Very good. Okay. The first major therefore in the book of Romans is the therefore of repentance. We find it in Romans chapter 3, verse 20, where it says, Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. And whenever we encounter the word therefore, we say, What is it therefore? And here, the first major therefore is there to summarize the claim that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's been the basic argument of Romans chapter one and two, and some have even given it a nifty title, how to ruin your life in six easy steps. You can follow the Romans road there, and it basically says, step one, turn away from God. Step two, experience a darkened mind. Step three, embrace idolatry. Step four, exchange truth for lies. Step five, pursue pleasure at all costs. And then finally, step six, in a life that is absent of God, sin reigns. And so he goes on to list off 21 different types of sins as representative of sin at large. And just when you read that whole list and start to think, boy, I really hope so-and-so is paying attention. They really need to hear about their stuff. Chapter 2, verse 1 begins by saying, not so fast, because in the very act of judging another, you put yourself in the very same boat as that one. The point altogether is not that we are to obsess over certain sins that I or others do, but it is to admit that sin is pervasive. All people sin whether Jew or Gentile, whether Catholic or Baptist or Reformer, whether non-Christian or new Christian or lifelong Christian, all people sin. And the point here that Paul is making is not that we are to not be a sinner. We are people who sin. Thankfully, God is in the business of saving sinners. 
And God is more able to save than we are able to sin. And remember, it's the Apostle Paul making this argument about sin at the very beginning. And he's the one who recurringly says, I am the chief of sinners. He's inviting us to think similarly. Put together a broad definition of what sin is, not listing off sins, but sin as a category in the Bible could be defined a bit like this. Sin is a sickness or a stain. It's something inside us like a virus. It's something like a ketchup stain on our shirt. It is something that we experience as shame, where we say, I am bad, or guilt, where we say, I've done bad, disobedience, kinds of things, inside and out. It's also to be lost, to be ignorant of, or rebelling against God's good ways in the world. Sin is also anti-shalom. God created a good world order, and anything that's not the way that it's supposed to be is classified biblically as sin. Sin is also alienation. It's a relational thing. Separation or brokenness in our relationships with God or one another, that too is sin. And then it's also untruth, which is maybe the most common way that it's described at the beginning of Romans. It is to be out of joint, incongruent with reality. That too is sin. And finally, in the Bible, it's presented also as an evil power. Ephesians calls it the principalities and the powers, or a kind of corporate personality or domination system, something that is way beyond us and that we are caught up in. That broadly is sin. And I hope you recognize that Romans is doing this for us, naming it for us, because the first step towards fixing any problem is naming the problem, isn't it? Romans in particular is a book in which the gospel move is from plight to solution, and the bad news comes before the glad news. Now, you'll notice also that salvation, as we eventually talk about it, even atonement, God's good work to save us in Jesus' name is basically the making right of all that is wrong. Anything that's wrong in us and in the world is what God is doing in Christ and by the Spirit to save us. But for now, I hope you can look at that map up there and say, yeah, I know that all too well. It's my problem. It's our problem. We need help. That's what the first therefore is trying to get you to in the book of Romans. It's there to help us recognize that all are sinful Skipping forward 20 centuries after the book of Romans was first written, I wonder, do people today still think themselves to be sinners? Do I? Or does the gospel fall on deaf ears more and more so nowadays because we think we don't need it? I'm okay, you're okay, we're all okay together, comparatively. We're not supposed to be grading ourselves on a sliding scale or raking, ranking certain sins as worse or better than others. We are to be admitting that all our sin, including first and foremost, me. Therefore, number two moves us into the realm of reconciliation. It happens in Romans chapter five, verse one, where it says, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith to the grace in which we now stand. And whenever we encounter a therefore, we ask, what is it there for? Great question. You guys are so good at this. 
This time, the therefore is there to name the way in which salvation comes to us by grace, through faith, and unto life with God. At this point, I'm going to invite you to put your deep thinking hat on a little bit, okay? You can't avoid this. We're in the book of Romans. And the great ahas that have happened throughout church history have come to the brightest minds, having their minds transformed by studying this very book of Romans. The ahas have come to St. Augustine, the quintessential church father, to Martin Luther, the great reformer, to Karl Barth, who is known to be the brightest Christian mind of the 20th century. Each of them had their great ahas with the book of Romans and particularly in regard to one phrase. The phrase is the righteousness of God. You heard it in the thesis statement, the righteousness of God. It repeatedly shows up in the book of Romans and in Romans, it means not one thing, not two things, but three things. Each one of these things alone is correct, but incomplete. It first is a divine attribute. The righteousness of God is part of who God is. And it's why God is against sin. If you have ever kind of pictured God as a bearded fella sitting on a beard in the sky and looking down on the world and making judgments about whether things are good or bad, it's coming from this particular stream of thought. Righteousness as a divine attribute. It's correct, but it's incomplete. Because also in Romans, the righteousness of God is a status given. This is the lightning insight of Martin Luther where he recognizes that the righteousness of God is something that God declares and gives to us. Now you might picture yourself in a courtroom and just as the javelin is about to drop and declare you guilty, Jesus steps in and changes the verdict to not guilty. It's a declaration. It's judicial or forensic. It's a way of giving a status. And the third way that the righteousness of God is unpacked for us in Romans is that it's a saving activity of God. It's something that God does to us, that God makes us righteous, sanctifying us and reconciling us so that it's a participatory thing, even so much as the scriptures say that the point is that we might become the righteousness of God ourselves. Some of you at this point are like, okay, Ross, where'd the light and fluffy stuff go? I want that. Where's the whipped cream? It's Romans. But I'll try to say it a different way, a little more colloquial way here. So two different ways of thinking about the, the Christian story. Pop Christianity might say it this way. God is good. You are bad. Thankfully, Jesus came to save us from his dad. So pray a prayer and you'll be glad. Is that right? <laughs> The book of Romans says a little differently. It says God is good and sin is a real problem. Thankfully, the triune God is for us, not against us. So stick with God relationally and you'll be glad. What's the difference between those two different ways of saying that? First, you might notice that pop Christianity unites sin to the sinner and declares both as bad. Romans, on the other hand, separates sin from the sinner, declares sin as a real problem, but also declares people as salvageable. That's different. Second, you might notice that pop Christianity makes it sound like God is mad and that Jesus came to change God's opinion as if they're on different teams or something like that. 
Meanwhile, Romans is thoroughly Trinitarian so that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are all in, all together on this project called salvation. Third, you might notice that pop Christianity is consumeristic. It's suggesting or hoping that we get good stuff from God, possibly absent of a relationship with God. And Romans instead is participatory. It's reconciling, it's sanctifying, it's relational. That's different. 20 centuries later, after this book has so impacted our world, I wonder, is peace with God my goal? Or do I just wanna get good stuff from God? Therefore, number three moves us on a little bit more. It is the therefore of resting secure. We find it in Romans chapter eight, verse one, where it says, therefore, there is now no condemnation, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And whenever we find it, therefore, we ask, what is it there for? This time, the therefore is there to assure us that what God has done for us can't be taken from us. Romans 8 declares no condemnation. It celebrates the gift of the Holy Spirit and it assures us that nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Romans 8 is therefore known as one of the best loved chapters in all of the Bible, fitting right alongside Genesis 1 or John 1 or Psalm 23 or 1 Corinthians 13. It's right up there. But also, Romans chapter 8 is not an easy read. And I'd be lying if I said to you that I've always understood it and appreciated it. When I was in middle school, I tried three times over to read the exact same book, Gary Paulson's The Hatchet. I made it through the first two pages three times over and went to my mom whining about how I don't get it. I don't understand. Truth be told, for most of my life, I've also been puzzled by at least the first half of Romans chapter 8. It's not an easy read. It's about flesh and about spirit, about law and sin and death, about my spirit and God's spirit. And all of this sounds really anti-body, doesn't it? Kind of what the scholars would call Gnosticism. Meanwhile, the scriptures tell us that God created a material world and declared it good, that Jesus took on flesh and then rose from the dead with a real physical body. And we as followers of him, are yet still hoping for a restoration of this earth, a new heavens and a new earth. Not that we are to be disembodied spirits floating around somewhere like chubby babies. (laughs) These books, of course, offer some help with this, but it can be confusing. And so I have a lot of sympathy for those who are confused. 20 centuries after Romans was written, I therefore wonder, based on my own personal experience and aware that we now live in a soundbite world where we are very unlikely to give dedicated attention or deep thought to something for a prolonged amount of time, I wonder, when it comes to Romans, does anybody understand this? Do I? In case you get confused in reading Romans, which I hope you go and do this week, I want to offer to you the top three tips that I've found for reading scripture when confused. Tip number one, focus on what you know, not on what you don't know. We often invert that and obsess over the things we don't understand and ignore the things we do. Try the other way around. Focus on the stuff you do know and let that be a gateway into the stuff that you don't. 
Second, let scripture interpret scripture, particularly by exploring the triple C's, which would be context, cross-references, that column in the middle of your Bible, and concordance in the back. Let scripture interpret scripture. It's a great way to go. And then finally, find a mentor and bring your questions. Don't go to the internet. Internet will tell you whatever you want to hear. Find a mentor like the Apostle Paul and Timothy and bring your questions and let a great faithful conversation flow. If Romans chapter 8 doesn't confuse you, Romans chapter 9, 10, and 11 probably will. It's the most confusing ones in the book. (laughs) The advice is perhaps worth keeping. But therefore, number three is an invitation to rest secure in God's salvation, no matter how well we've lived it or even how well we understand it. We're invited to rest secure anyways. Therefore, number four is the therefore of renewal. We find it in Romans chapter 12, verse one, where it says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. It's another therefore. And whenever we encounter a therefore, we ask, what is it there for? And this time, it is there to call for a response, a re-centering, a transformation, a renewal of our very selves. At this point, get this, 75% of the commands that appear in the book of Romans are in chapter 12 and beyond. 75% of them which is to say that there's been a lot of theology, a lot of deep thinking that's come before, and now it's time to put that stuff into action, right? Thinking should live to right living. In fact, it's the gateway to do so. From a wide angle view, the book of Romans ends up taking a very similar shape to one of our great standards in our tradition, the Heidelberg Catechism, which is often summarized as guilt, grace, gratitude, or Sin, salvation, service. And that's what's happening with Romans. At the turn of chapter 12, we get all kinds of instructions about how now we shall therefore live. And this therefore of obedience comes after all of the other therefores have already come forward. All right, one more therefore. I'm running out of time here. Therefore number five is in Romans is the therefore of removing barriers removing barriers. We find it in chapter 15, verse 7, where it says, therefore, welcome one another, just as Christ has welcomed you. And one last time, when we encounter the word therefore, we ask, what is it there for? This time, the therefore is there to invite us to pay it forward, to do unto others, just as Christ has done unto us. So welcome as you have been welcomed. You may notice that of all the therefores that we've spoken of this morning already, this is the one that's most likely to be ignored or left off. In fact, if you've heard of the four spiritual laws or ever passed around these tracks or received one like this, the four spiritual laws you'll notice are four, not five. The four are about personal salvation. This fifth, therefore, is about paying it forward. It's about sharing the love with someone else. In the house churches of Rome at the particular time, there were some hot issues that were splitting people apart. Go figure. And they were in these two different groups. Go figure. And the two groups had nicknames. You'll find it in the end chapters of the book of Romans. They're called the weak and the strong. 
The hot issues that they were debating at the end of the book of Romans are about three things, three Ds, days, diets, and drinks. <laughs> days, diets, and drinks. And among them, there were some people who were very strict. You might call them kind of legalistic about it. And there were others who were more free. They would describe themselves as more liberated in regard to days, drinks, and diets. Of course, each group de describes themselves as the strong ones, and those other ones, are the, they're the weak ones. That's the way it goes. But chapter 14, verse 1, offers a nice summary of Paul's advice on the matter. He says, Welcome those whose faith, welcome those who are weak in the faith without quarreling over disputable matters. Paul's advice to the divided church, particularly over these disputed matters, is that it is the task of the mature to keep unity and that it is immaturity that pursues division and judgmentalism. And so when faithful Christians think differently about disputable matters, the Apostle Paul says again, chapter 15, verse 1, he says, we who are strong ought to put up with the failings of the weak. It's a matter of maturity. We know this all too well in the Dealman household. It's a hot tub issue for us. The house that we're in came with a hot tub, which is awesome. And I have two sons, as you might know. Hot tubs have one of these nifty little lights in them, right? And the light is always either on or off. There is no in-between. My two sons, of course, have differing opinions about whether the light should be on or whether the light should be off. And the dispute, of course, is common. As long as both parties are holding their grounds and sticking to their guns, it's always the case that someone is unhappy and someone else is happy. And you can flip the switch, but then you just trade sides. Now the other person is unhappy and you get the idea. The belly aching continues until finally someone is mature enough to say, it's okay if I don't get my way. Might be true in the car with a radio for you or something else. 20 centuries after Romans was written, I wonder, can we, like God, shift from being adversarial to being advocates? And like the righteousness of God, can we be not in it to win it, but rather in it to share it? If Romans is right, that just might be the difference between the weak and the strong, between the mature and the immature. So friends, as you go out today and hopefully take the book of Romans and take up and read, I hope that you find in it these therefores, which are an invitation to repent, invitation to be reconciled, invitations to rest secure, to be renewed, and to remove barriers for others to join us in the journey of following Jesus, loving God, and being made new in the power of the Holy Spirit. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Friends, in our response this morning, I invite you to stand and we're going to sing together words that come from the Heidelberg Catechism and really sum up the gospel that Christ is our hope in life and death.
Friends, as you go from this place to live out the five therefores of the book of Romans and to take up and read, may the grace of the Lord Jesus and the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you always. Amen. Go in peace.